What up, what up, fantasy people? This is the True North Fantasy Football Podcast. I am Travis Seal with my co-host Tyrell McLaughlin. What's going on, Ty? Same old, same old. Raining cats and dogs out there. Yep, certainly is. You can find me on Twitter at tseal14, and you can find Ty at tnfftyrell. Yeah, and you can find all of mine and Travis's work at truenorthffb.com. So what's on the agenda today? Yeah, so we got lots of injury news. We're going to fly through that, and then we're going to talk about confirmation observations. So some teams who have confirmed some things that we thought might be possible in the offseason, and we're seeing them unfold now. Yeah, cool. So really, we're just going to talk a bunch of teams, and even some of those injuries are so significant, we'll just have to touch on some of those teams in their entirety too, eh? Yeah, definitely. It's a pretty big week. Lots happened. Totally. I love these kind of weeks. Yeah, we're going to finish it off today with giving you our game of the week. So the game that we are the most intrigued by for fantasy football purposes. And then we're going to finish off with a uh, dart throw you can start. So a deep player that you can grab maybe off of waivers or that you drafted really late in a dynasty league that you might be able to start this week in a pinch. But let's jump right into her and we're going to get into that injury news. So lots to unfold. We're going to start with quarterbacks. We're kind of going to go by position here. Um, just get through them. We're going to talk about a few of them. We're going to quick hit a few of them. Um, so Ty, why don't you start with those top two quarterbacks that went down, the big ones? Yeah, quarterback attack in week two. I mean, we saw Ben Roethlisberger go out uh, with the elbow injury. You know, nothing official, but it looks and sounds like Tommy John surgery, so he'll be out for the season. And we saw Breeze with a UCL throwing hand injury. Uh, he's probably out at least six weeks. We don't know the full extent of that injury yet. But I think we should definitely hit on uh, the repercussions in Pittsburgh and New Orleans. Yeah, I think overall, just the two of them, to me, kind of signals a big shift in power in both conferences, because Pittsburgh was supposed to be one of the top teams, even though maybe they hadn't played like it just yet. Um, They were supposed to be one of the top teams in the AFC, and then the Saints were definitely a contender in uh, the NFC. Not to say that they're dead yet, but I think, you know, it opens the door for a bunch of other teams to get in there and uh, make the playoffs. Yeah, and it really, really throws a wrench in fantasy for sure for both teams. I'll start with Pittsburgh. I think for Dynasty Leagues, this could put Big Ben's entire career in question despite his contract. And for redraft and mostly Superflex, we have to talk about, you know, what's going to happen with this team. We saw the Steelers trade away Josh Dobbs, so they're left with everything riding on Mason Rudolph. And the Steelers do like him, and he looked fine in his unexpected debut there in Week 2. But do you think he can keep this boat afloat here? I think it's definitely a downgrade for most of the options there. Um you know, he's not going to be as in sync with the offense. I think Juju's probably still going to turn out to be a wide receiver one just because he's he's so good out of the slot. He plays everywhere and he's really reliable. So I think Mason Rudolph's going to find that Juju's going to be his safety net. I think it's actually probably an uptick for uh, James Washington. What do you think about James Washington? Yeah, I mean, James Washington, he's flashed on a couple deep separation plays. Actually, maybe really quick, Dante Moncrief, let's just get two birds stoned at once here. He's a drop, uh, like, and speaking of drops, his snaps dropped from 90% in week one, and he played, you know, about 32% snaps in week two. So James Washington is definitely now the wide receiver two in Pittsburgh. And he's also, you know, now the wide receiver two in an offense that's manned by his college quarterback, who he had crazy success with in Mason Rudolph. But I do think James Washington could kind of be a boomer bust player. He's definitely going to be just the deep threat in this offense. He might, you know, be one of those players under 50% catch rate. But I do expect, you know, he's he's leading Pittsburgh by far in air yards right now. And he, he, he finds himself in a pretty good situation with Mason Rudolph. They've displayed such good chemistry in the preseason and in college. So I expect to see some pretty good magic games from those two. What do you think? 
Yeah, I think he could probably, you know, get into maybe late wide receiver two territory if they can start clicking. That's the key, though, is if they can start clicking, right? I think either way, he's probably a comfortable wide receiver three, though, because that chemistry, like you said, from college, I think we saw that in preseason. So that could continue definitely. Um, I think it's also potentially maybe an uptick for James Conner as far as rushing work, because to me, I think they're going to lean on the run a little bit more. Definitely, you know, he'll be a safety net out of the backfield, but they're going to run the ball. Um, Hopefully Conner can hold up because he did uh, have that injury, as we'll get to. But what do you think about the running backs? Yeah, I mean, James Conner, it's so interesting because we saw him get banged up and, you know, he's never played a full season yet in his career. And we saw Jalen Samuels be a league winner last year. So he's a decent player uh, to target maybe in trade for Jalen Samuels. I mean, it's hard because he's not going to give you a ton of standalone value and he's not going to be on your waiver wires. Uh, But you do wonder with Big Ben out if Conner can even withstand an increase in workload. He certainly hasn't been overplayed so far this year (laughs) and he's already banged up. So I think, I don't know, it just remains to be seen what's going to happen with this offense. They might even have to stay very pass-heavy like they've been. Yeah, and why don't you uh, touch on Vance? Everybody's loving Vance right now. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, both touchdowns Mason Rudolph threw in Week 2 did go to Vance McDonald, so we definitely have to keep an eye on him. And I think he's going to be heavily involved as long as uh, Mason Rudolph's under center. He's going to be targeting players like Juju Smith-Schuster, Vance McDonald, and James Washington heavily. And I think even in deep dynasty leagues, we can definitely keep our eyes on Deontay uh, Johnson, who I think is going to, he's going to be playing ahead of Dante Moncrief. Yeah, Moncrief is a killer, man. That Those 10 targets in week one were pretty sweet. I actually fired him back up in a league that has a bunch of flexes and he burned me big time. Yeah, he's, he was barely playing by the end of the game. Yeah, I shouldn't have done that. So do you want to hit the Saints? Yeah, let's move on to the Saints. Drew Brees, he has the UCL injury on his throwing hand. He had surgery on it, and he's going to miss about six weeks. Teddy Bridgewater didn't look that great against the Rams. Um, We hope that, you know, a week of practice can help where he's playing with the ones and he's getting that work. But what? uh, who do you think it impacts the most? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think Alvin Kamara might take the biggest hit just because Brees has been number one and number two in running back targets, and the Saints running backs have averaged about 30% target share historically. And Breeze also throws like the best balls to running backs that we've ever seen, really. It's an underrated skill. But I also think, you know, Michael Thomas probably takes a big hit. People know that he's in this perfect marriage with Drew Breeze. He's had ridiculous efficiency. His 77% catch rate through three years is the best in history among wide receivers with 200 receptions. And last year he had 85% catch rate. Like that is just off the charts, which is also a record. That's nuts, yeah. And I think we're going to see all his numbers go down because other numbers that he's seen is last year he was number two in red zone targets and number two in targets inside the 10-yard line. So, you know, we know the Saints are always a team that we want to tie ourselves to for fantasy, but it's because they put up so many points per game every season. And I just don't know if that's going to be there this year. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. Like, I think Michael Thomas is probably still going to get the targets. He still got 13 targets last week. But uh, it's the quality of targets, kind of like you said with throwing to the running backs. I think it's the quality of targets. Drew Brees is accurate. He knows where his guys are going to be. And Teddy Bridgewater doesn't have that with these guys. So I think Michael Thomas is going to get opportunities. But along with quality of targets, you mentioned the red zone targets too. It's going to hinge on how Teddy Bridgewater can actually get it to these guys and where he's putting that ball for sure. So who do you want between Michael Thomas and Juju Smith-Schuster right now? Oh, man, that is a tricky one. That's kind of like the super flex conundrum of Mason Rudolph or Teddy Bridgewater too. Yeah, see, I definitely want Mason Rudolph there. I, I think I have a I have a clear stance on that. I don't know who I want over Michael Thomas or Juju. I think I'm kind of leaning Juju Smith-Schuster right now, like a little bit. That's why I feel like I'm a little bit down on Michael Thomas, whereas people might 
I'm hearing a lot that he's going to be fine. He's going to be fine, but I, I don't see the catch rate and, you know, those high leverage targets being there. Yeah. I think you're probably right there. Eileen Juju and Mason Rudolph and Teddy Bridgewater still a bit of a toss up for me. It's hard to say. So I guess poor Traquan Smith, who also got dinged up in week two, actually. Uh, you think he stays sadly irrelevant? Uh, what do you think about Ted Ginn? Yeah, I think we kind of touched on it on one of our other pods is that the wide receiver two in New Orleans hasn't really been used much since Alvin Kamara came. And I know it's a little bit different not having Drew Brees in there, but I still think that that's probably going to be the case. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater might sway towards the wide receivers a little bit, but it again boils down to that quality of targets. Like he's not going to throw the deep ball to Traquan or Ted Ginn like Drew Brees was. So I expect a, you know, a downtick there, but we weren't really expecting much out of those guys anyway. Mm-hmm. So what about what about Jared Cook? Do you think this could actually help Jared Cook? Or will Taysom Hill running tight end routes continue to vulture his his workload? Oh, isn't that nuts? Catching the <laughs> touchdowns too? Like, well, that's come a, on. That's the funniest thing is you hear on the broadcast where they're talking about how, you know, this really hurts uh, with Drew Brees out. You can't use Taysom Hill because you need him now as your backup quarterback. And then he was running tight end routes like, you know, three plays later, <laughs> right up the middle. <laughs> yeah, Jared Cook, man. He... He could be that safety net, right? He's a big guy. He's looked pretty good when Drew Brees has hit him this year. Um, he's kind of a wait and see for me. I I don't own him really anywhere. I wasn't quite sure on what was going to happen with I, him in New Orleans. Yeah, exactly. We were so low on him, both of us. It was one of those things we definitely agreed on in the offseason that people were overweighing Jared Cook's value in fantasy. Yeah, for sure. So I think, you know, maybe a back-end tight end one just because of the position itself. But uh not expecting too, too much from Jared Cook, but I could see, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he did have a little uptick or he had some more boom games than he might have had before just because Teddy's finding him open. Yeah, no, I think that's well put. Like, he might have more usable games for sure. Yeah. Okay, so the next two we'll go a little bit quick on here. Um, that was some good stuff about the Saints and the Steelers, and I think those are probably the biggest impact injuries that we saw this week. Um, but we'll talk about Sam Darnold with uh, kissing disease. He got mono. Um, so it's looking like three weeks or so so he should be back around week five I think I saw today um and then we got Cam Newton and his foot injury his status is in question for Sunday um a lot of people picking up Will Greer but I think it might actually be Kyle Allen who is the backup quarterback there so um be careful there when you're picking guys up off the wire yeah Sam Darno I think that's an interesting one if he uh I I heard that today too that he's going to target that week uh week five coming back off the bye week and, you know, it, it's going to be funny because we're going to see Luke Falk again this week. And I saw, I think it was Matthew Freeman tweet out that Luke Falk and Tom Brady facing each other this week are both 199 overall picks at quarterback. That is pretty wow. Yeah, isn't that really funny? <laughs> wow. That's like once in a lifetime right there. But, uh, you know, I think on Monday night we saw what's going to happen here going forward without Sam Darno, which is all we can really touch on uh, is what's going to happen before week five. We saw Lev Bell be used at his capacity, if not exceeding it. So move Ty Montgomery up your running back handcuff ranks, I guess. And yeah, definitely. Yeah, like there's one thing I really want to hit. Just make sure nobody's forgetting about Chris Herndon. I think no joke he could be maybe the top passing option in this offense, even ahead of Jameson Crowder. And he looked so great in the preseason. He was playing as an every-down player with Sam Darno. And Ryan Griffin, who's the Jets' current tight end, he's among the league leader in snap share and routes run among uh, tight ends. Yeah, I saw that too. I wish there was a little bit more production out of Griffin because he would have been a good little sneaky uh, play off the waiver wire. Mm-hmm. But, um, I, you know, I think you're right. The, you can't really expect too much. Jamison Crowder didn't really have that great a game. Robbie Anderson had four for 81. There was a really big sideline catch, but yeah, that was dope. It's tough to rely on that for sure. I mean, Le'Veon Bell volume for sure, but he's going to be keyed on so much. Um, You're obviously not sitting Le'Veon Bell, but 
it's going to be really interesting to see how that works. Herndon, though, I actually put some offers out there for him this week, just thinking guys might forget about him just because he is suspended. One of my offers got denied, so I'm going to keep getting back at that. And yeah, I guess we'll hit on Cam Newton too. I mean, you, you mentioned the backup situation. I think that's funny because yeah, we should see Will Greer get in there at some point if Cam Newton was to miss extended time, I would think, because he's the first quarterback they've drafted since drafting Cam Newton. So, I mean, Cam Newton, what, what can you say? I haven't really been super interested in him as he gets older. His rushing has to, it really has to come down. He can't be taking on 240 pound linebackers anymore on these quarterback draws up the middle. Uh, last season and half a season sample size, he was completely useless in games when he was on the injury report and you know we saw also Christian McCaffrey last year was a huge beneficiary especially around the goal line uh so what do you see what do you see if Cam Newton does miss time I actually don't think he's gonna miss time I think he'll probably play but he doesn't look very good exactly yeah if he were to miss time I mean I'm not really that into these receivers I know he's targeting them like DJ Moore has double digit targets in both games this year uh Curtis Samuel had a pretty good game on Thursday he had 91 yards I think on six grabs or something like that um so they're gonna do a little bit but they're not gonna be guys that are gonna hold up your team uh Cam's not looking that great right now you couldn't hit water if you fell out of a boat yeah it never does on the injury report yeah Okay, so let's move away from quarterbacks. You know there was a lot to talk about there for sure, so we'll go a little quicker with running backs. First of all, I'll go super quick with James Conner. He left the game. Uh, We heard on the radio station and Tuesday he also made comments to the media that he should play on Sunday. If he's playing, you have to start him. Uh, So I'll move right along to Kansas City here. We saw Shady McCoy, he's dealing with an ankle issue, and Damian Williams also left the game with a knee issue. Both were just scares. Neither seemed serious. Uh... You know, I don't listen to many waiver pods or read many of those articles, so maybe this is a hot take, I don't know, but Darwin Thompson would be one of my bigger targets this week in waivers, or a player you could get cheaper in fab or sneak on your roster after waivers rolls in old school leagues. Uh, What do you think about that? Yeah, I think he's probably a must-pick-up, because you never know. I mean, Shady has some injury history. Damian Williams is seeing the most work that he's ever seen, really, and uh, he's already got a knee contusion, it said. Um, But I think both Shady and D-Will are going to play this week. You definitely want to pick up Darwin Thompson because he could come be a league winner, much like we were saying on one of our pods early in the season. Yeah, totally. I mean, he has the upside you just can't find on the waiver wire. Like, who do you want, Kenyon Drake or, you know, Darwin Thompson on your on your lineup? It just, I don't know, it, it just feels like one of those things you may as well have him on your roster. So moving along, Devin Singletary, you know, he uh, he left the game. We don't know his status really right now. I think it's a hamstring issue, so we don't love to see that for uh, rookie running backs especially. So how do you see this shaking out in Buffalo? I think he's going to be all right, but you never like to see the hamstring injury, especially for a guy who's breaking off big runs. You don't want to see that. The usage is what I'm more worried about because I think he plays, but the usage is really, really interesting. He only has 10 carries on the season, but he's far outdoing Frank Gore in the yardage category. And snaps. Yeah, I mean, just free Devin Singletary. Just get him the rock. <laughs> Frank Gore has 30 carries and 10 for Devin Singletary. What do you think? Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, yeah, if you're desperate, Gore might even be on your waiver wire. Uh, It's funny, you know, you love Peyton Barber and the ageless Frank Gore. They look like a couple of the best zero RB targets out there right now for early season production. I love it. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I'd honestly, if if Singletary was to miss time, which we don't expect him to, but you know, hamstring issues, you worry about being rushed back, etc. TJ Yeldon might be more interesting for PPR leagues, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I, I think we'll just monitor practice for Singletary. And, you know, the main reason that I'm not interested in anybody in this whole backfield, though, maybe is just this offensive line and the fact that Josh Allen may lead this team in carries inside the red zone and goal line. And it already looks like Josh Allen's going to run the ball like eight times a game anyways. 
Yeah, he's looking pretty good so far. I think he has 17 rushes through two games, so you're spot on there with uh, around eight. Yeah, that's so, crazy. Um, he just hurts running back production. Last year, Shady McCoy had under 10 points per game with Josh Allen in the games Josh Allen played, and when Josh Allen got injured for those games, Shady McCoy went over 15 points per game on average. So, you know, he just doesn't throw to running backs, and it, yeah, vultures him at the goal line. All right, so why don't I finish off the last few here? DJ, David Johnson, he went off with a wrist issue, um, but he should line up Sunday, they said, so he should be out there. Uh, what do you think happens there? Yeah, it was kind of trippy when he grabbed his wrist. I mean, I kind of actually went to, like, you know, all my leagues checking out Chase Edmonds' ownership. But, yeah, him, he came back, so, you know, there's not much to point out there. Mark Ingram, he had a kidney injury. Um, he's expected to play against the Chiefs, and that could be a high-scoring game. So if you have Ingram, you want him to play. But a kidney injury, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, he went down like he was shot. That was crazy. Yeah, he came back in too, so we don't expect him to miss any time. Um, Josh Jacobs, though, he had a groin injury. His status is unknown for Sunday is the last that I've seen. Um, Josh Jacobs would be a pretty big hit for the Raiders offense. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, <laughs> the way they've used him, I've been actually super disappointed with his usage. In week one, we saw him boom for fantasy. But remember, somehow the Raiders in that game played the entire game in the lead, that entire game. And he had only 12 rushing attempts last week against Kansas City in week two. And the usage just wasn't there. Like Jalen Richard and DeAndre Washington were getting pass catching duties. And Josh Jacobs has only run 21 routes through two games. And that's the same as Jalen Richard. So it's it's been really discouraging for Josh Jacobs for me. Yeah. So would you say you'd pick Jalen Richard up off the waiver wire? No, I, I I don't know. I mean, Jalen Richard's interesting because they're going to be in a lot of negative script, uh, game scripts, in my opinion. It, I just like to point this stuff out because it, it's just scary because this all sounds annoying, but it's we have to identify this bad co- these bad coaching decisions. And, you know, for fantasy, I just think that's one of the things you have to do. And, and I guess to John Gruden, it doesn't matter that Josh Jacobs led all combine invites at running back in yards per target and yards per route run in college. Yeah, maybe that usage could go up if he uh, plays this week. So we're not quite sure. So keep an eye on Josh Jacobs. I actually have him as my running back two in one league, and I need him because I'm hurting there. So hopefully he plays, but hopefully he doesn't re-injure himself. Well, I just hope he starts getting some more passing work for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last guy, he's not you know a big-name guy. He's not somebody you're relying on, but I think he has an effect on the rest of the backfield that he plays in. So Corey Clement, he's got a shoulder injury, and he's out for Sunday against the Lions. I think this is pretty good for Miles Sanders. I mean, not that Miles Sanders has produced huge on the touches that he's got, but I think this will get him more touches. So it's going to be him and Sproles. Um, Jordan Howard's going to pepper in, but I think Miles Sanders is going to get a little bit more work this week against the Lions. What do you think? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think his usage is going to go up as the year goes on for sure. I really like Miles Sanders. I think it also, we should note that it puts him in line for return duties. They don't want Mac Hollins in that role. So I think he's going to be returning kicks, which I don't love. Yeah, I don't love that either at all. I didn't like seeing him out there. Just put Mac Hollins back there and make him do it. Dude, he ran like six kicks back in that in week two. (laughs) Yeah, that's too much for, uh, you know, what's supposed to be your future workhorse running back. That's too much, Bob. (laughs) So these wide receivers, man, the Eagles were dropping like flies against the Falcons. That was really tough for me to watch. I didn't like that game at all. Um, so Deshaun Jackson, um, I saw two reports actually. I saw that he had a groin injury, but then I saw an abdominal strain as well. So not quite sure what it is, but it, he's going to be out about two weeks, they said, potentially a couple more. Um, what do you think about DJX? What's in between your groin and your abdominal? Um... <laughs> 
think there was another organ there. Maybe that's what's bothering him. So, yeah, on Sunday night, Eagles decided to die instead of fly for sure. Not what you want to see from a burner and a groin injury for Deshaun Jackson. And Alshon Jeffrey and soft tissue injuries have always been BFFs. Uh, we somewhat predicted this, or at least we projected for it in our projections at True North uh, for small amounts of missed games from both uh, Deshaun Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey. They've both missed uh, 14 games over the last four years. And it's why we're kind of saying little weird things like grab J-Jaw and Aguilar to round out your best ball wide receiver corpse if you're top heavy and things like that. Uh, so we definitely like uh, Nelson Aguilar as a wide receiver ad on your waivers, or do you think it's too limited of action that he'll be in? No, I love him. Um, he's... Uh... He's, I got a couple claims in for him in a couple leagues right now. Um, we're recording this on Tuesday night, by the way, so waivers haven't run for us yet. They'll probably run by the time you listen to the podcast, but uh, Aguilar is a big pickup for me this week. Uh, Carson Wentz just loves him, but uh, sneak peek, I'm actually going to talk about Aguilar a little bit later. Um, what do you think about J.J. Ortega-Whiteside? Yeah, I mean, first off, I think it, it, was, it wasn't it was a great showing for him on Sunday Night Football. He looked pretty bad out there, or at least the chemistry with Carson Wentz did there were some interceptions etc and so forth I, I I'm not gonna hold that against him just yet I think JJ first of all JJ Ortega Whiteside is a direct one-for-one replacement for Alshon Jeffrey I truly think that uh the role the red zone targets everything in my opinion you know I don't know if it's going to happen right away but I think if he if he can show a little bit of chemistry maybe later in the season it'll it'll benefit JJ but I think Zach Ertz and players like that definitely see a bigger benefit right now Ertz had 16 targets on Sunday night against the uh, Falcons. So that's probably going to keep going. So Ertz is back up in the top three conversation for me. And J-Jaw, yeah, I mean, he's definitely a good bench ad just in case he does blow up if, you know, Alshon misses more time. Um, he's not somebody I'm going to be able to start with confidence this week. Uh, but I definitely have J-Jaw on a few of my benches for sure. Yeah, and just the friendly reminder that Zach Ertz did set an NFL record for receptions by tight end last year. <laughs> yeah, it gets overshadowed by Kittle season. But, you know, the reason we were down on him this season was because we knew he was going to lose some volume. But he's already among the league leaders in targets. So Yeah, so he's back up there in the volume category. Uh, the last guy, this guy's been blowing up. Lots of people have been loving him. Michael Gallup, out two to four weeks. He had surgery to trim his meniscus. Uh, so two to four, what do you think there? Yeah, it's devastating. I mean, I don't want to spend too much time on him. We're also going to talk about Michael Gallup a little bit later and that Dallas Cowboys offense. So I'll just for now say that it does definitely suck because of some of the three wide receiver sets and everything that Dallas has been doing. I do want to see what happens there. But I think this offense is prolific enough to kind of outlast this uh, absence from him. Well, they're going to be running at a high level at the end of the season come our fantasy playoffs, I think. Yeah, man, that Dallas offense is looking pretty good. But like you said, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. So we got a couple tight ends to hit. David Njoku, he had the concussion. Uh, he's in the protocol. He's questionable to play, but it's still pretty early in the process. Um, get your Demetrius Harris, man. I looked at him on waivers in a bunch of leagues. Some touchdown upside there for sure. Totally. I actually love Demetrius Harris. I think I'm not like 100% sure, so don't shoot me if I'm wrong here, but I'm pretty sure he had a nice touchdown uh, from Baker Mayfield against Tampa Bay in the preseason there. And I've always liked Demetrius Harris. He was that guy I kind of thought would be the Trey Burton before he landed in Cleveland. I thought he might land in a really nice spot and be fantasy relevant this year. So definitely keep your eye on Demetrius Harris. And the last guy, you had a pretty interesting take on why this is important. It's actually kind of like a big overall take that's much bigger than the player himself. But Tyler Higby, he had a lung contusion. Um, so why don't you talk about kind of the underrated relevance of his absence? Yeah, I think it's like a little bit relevant. I think what we're seeing unfold around the goal line in LA and because, you know, Gerald Everett also saw red zone targets uh, once Higby left in week two. 
and they have six combined targets inside the 10-yard line. That's Gerald Everett and Tyler Higby, the two tight ends, and that would be the most in the NFL, and they both have multiple targets at the goal line as well. So I just think it's it's interesting to note that Gerald Everett could come in and see some significant work in high-leverage situations, and we know the Rams are a team that are along the goal line uh, as much as anybody. Yeah, for sure. Everett looked pretty decent at points last year, and you know we all know he's a great athlete, so you can definitely pick up in a tight end premium league. I'm definitely looking for Gerald Everett, even though he's probably taken. If I can find him or if I can buy him, I'm probably going to grab him just for that upside. Yeah, dude, Sean McVay drafted him to be Jordan Reed. You didn't know that? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's actually much more durable, though, so he's winning. Yeah, third year breakout tight end. Yeah. (laughs) All right, I'm done. Okay, so we got two other pieces of news here. Uh, These aren't really injury-related, but um, definitely noteworthy for sure. Um, The big one that came out today, Daniel Jones is going to start for the New York Giants. Uh, Looked great in the preseason. He's got, you know, limited weapons right now, but Golden Tate's going to come back for him. Uh, Sterling Shepard's looked pretty decent. Evan Ingram has looked awesome. Uh, What do you think about the Daniel Jones situation? Yeah, I mean, first off, I'm just happy we can all take the W against some of those people who thought Eli could start really deep into the season. Uh, Once he was a top 10 pick, I think the stats don't lie. He was going to play year one and ASAP after, like you said, his preseason performance. And I don't really even buy into the hindered development thing, putting a young quarterback into an unwinnable situation. I think a player's mental makeup kind of defines their ability to withstand that. Jared Goff would be the most recent example. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and Daniel Jones already showed that he won't be overwhelmed, even on a poor team, I don't think. And for fantasy, that's because he has mobility, and he will use his legs when he needs to. And he should need to use his legs constantly with the weapons he has, and definitely before getting Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate back, like you said. Uh, The one negative, even, that I had considered, I've actually come off of, and that's Saquon Barkley. I thought maybe his targets would take a hit with Daniel Jones. Uh, They usually do with running quarterbacks. But I think his catch rate will compensate. Like, Saquon's had a 50% catch rate over the last 10 games with Eli Manning, and that's really low for running back. So I really do see that coming up, and I I just think it's going to elevate this whole offense. Yeah, I'm with you. As much as it's hard for me to say as an Eagles fan, I think Daniel Jones is going to be really good for this offense. Exactly what you said. I was, you know, when I was thinking about it before the show, I was thinking it's all about his legs. Like, the fact that teams have to plan for that and they have to plan for Saquon Barkley and it's going to be tough because Saquon is a really really nice option to have for a young quarterback in a bad situation Um, so Daniel Jones as a super flex pickup everybody's happy about that one yeah and it definitely it even does elevate Saquon because it's like you're not running RPOs with Eli Manning (laughs) absolutely that would be hilarious (laughs) to see actually I I think they did like I think there was there were a couple I think it's like Kirk Cousins god (laughs) And the last little piece here, um, CJ Anderson was released today. Um, Carry on Johnson could see more work. I know you love Ty Johnson. And to me, it's kind of a vote of confidence for Ty Johnson. But Carry on Johnson more so because he's only been getting 16 touches a game so far. And I think that goes up into the 20 range. Um, And we saw flashes of what he can do with those touches for sure. Um, So what are you thinking about Detroit? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I definitely want to see another game or two from them. Uh, sad to see the former first-round pick and C.J. Anderson back on the scrap pile for sure. Uh, it's been a roller coaster for my boy Ty Johnson here this offseason. I still have him in a dynasty league or two, but I did drop him in a few, actually. It hurt. Uh, he looked great in the preseason in all facets, Ty Johnson did, and he looked really good again uh, this past week getting some touches. But the scary thing is they also involved J.D. McKissick in the passing game, and they also brought in Paul Perkins to replace C.J. Anderson. Uh, so this all just goes to piss me off further for having a lot of carry on Johnson shares in the third and fourth round in best balls, uh, because carry on Johnson's only getting 50% snaps and he's not getting the passing work we were expecting him to. 
Yeah, I think I think more of that work goes to him, though. I'm not too worried about McKissick and definitely not about Paul Perkins myself. So I'm still holding out hope, man, that, that third round draft pick is going to pay off. So we're good. I, I hope so. I just think the Lions are like even more competitive than I thought they would be. And uh, I don't know, I, I didn't see the targets or at least the involvement TJ Hawkinson would have this early. I, I just, I'm so worried. <laughs> yeah. Your worry is a good thing for Detroit Lions fans is basically what you're saying, because they look much better than we thought for sure. Yeah, totally. Okay. So that's all we got for the injury news today. Um, it was a pretty big one, but lots to unpack there. I'll lay it out for y'all to play it out. I have been shot eight times this year. Doesn't matter. You're a warrior. As a result, I almost missed work. He regenerates. That's how he escapes his predator. Is he going to be all right? Yeah, it's true. It's a defense mechanism. Great. It's me. That's it. That's it. He lays it out for us to play it out. Okay, so getting into the meat and potatoes of this episode, we're going to talk about confirmation observations. So these are some teams that we've noticed um, that have answered some of the questions that we had coming into the season, maybe some trends that we're finding with certain teams that weren't quite expected. Uh, this is going to be a good little segment. We are going to start first on the Darnell docket are the Arizona Cardinals. Um, so these guys have a lot of confirmation for us, actually. A team entering with a rookie quarterback, rookie head coach, probably the clear-cut worst offensive line in football. Uh, we've seen a lot of positives for fantasy, though, that's for sure. Cliff Kingsbury, the new head coach, he's got them top five in plays from scrimmage through the first two weeks, and they're number one in pass attempts as well, so that's nice to see for fantasy purposes as well. Um, so I think we make sure that we get these pieces from this offense. Larry's getting up there in age, so it'll be interesting to see if he can maintain that pace. Um, Christian Kirk, though, he's a huge buy if you can pick him up. Definitely want to get him now because it's only going to look better for him going through the season to me. Yeah, totally. The old air raid zone of Cardinals. Uh, I really like what you did. I like what you did with the Darnell Dockett there. I really like that. I know I did realize he's an ex-Cardinal for sure. Really quick on Cliff Kingsbury and the pace for this offense. You said the play volume is there. Arizona's also number one in seconds per play, and they also run no huddle almost half the time. They're 42% no huddle this season, and that's also number one in the league. And yeah, I love Christian Kirk too. Uh, last season, Christian Kirk played 60% snaps, but as a rookie, he still commanded a 20% share of targets. And the big point during the offseason was how valuable that would be in this new offense. And this season, he's at 21% target share with 20 targets already through two weeks. That's uh, top 15 in the league. And he's playing on 93% of the snaps. So for fun, check this out. Uh, Travis mentioned the Cardinals lead the NFL in passing attempts with 94. That would pace out to just about 752 passing attempts. Uh, so let's not be hyperbolic here. <laughs> uh, I'll say, <laughs> I was going to say they pass 600 times. If Christian Kirk maintains 20% target share, this quick super safe projection leaves 120 targets for Christian Kirk this year. And there's a ton of upside from there. Yeah, that's some big work, man. That is some big work. 120 targets would be really nice for a second-year wide receiver, especially one like Christian Kirk who fits really nicely in this offense. I'm still on the Larry Fitz train, man. I love the old man. Uh, if you're a contender in a dynasty league, um, you should definitely steal him because um, they're going to start converting in the red zone and he's going to get some touchdowns for sure. Through two games, he's got 95% snap share, so that's really, really nice to see, especially on such a high snap count. Um, he can still handle it for sure. He's got 27% of the targets right now, which is a huge piece of that pie. So if we're looking at your math, actually, I kind of like doing that where you kind of just average it out in your head to get just kind of a rough idea of it. So if we were to bring Larry down to 24% throughout the season, um, I know that's a big number, but I think Larry can sustain that if he's got 27 right now. Um, so if we give him 600 pass attempts, you mentioned Kristen Kirk could get 120. Um, that puts Larry around 140. Um, so we'd like to see that definitely. I'm not sure if we will, but we'd really like to see that out of Larry. So 140 targets would be really nice. 
Yeah, and I think those are pretty safe estimates for sure. Yeah, with the amount of volume, I mean, and that was really safe in the fact that if we average it out, it's 752, but we gave them 150 less. Um, so that's a nice number for sure. I don't really see the volume dipping for the Cardinals. This is just the offense they want to run and we got to get used to it. And their defense isn't really that good. So they're not going to get many stops and the offense is going to have to score. Yeah, I think that's all pretty well said. And that offensive line is also the woat. So using their two slot wide the receivers woat. the most. <laughs> yeah, it's like the goat, but the worst of all time. Right? Absolutely. And you're totally right. Like, I actually think they're that bad, though. They're such a bad offensive line. It's crazy. Uh, the, and I just think using these two slot wide receivers the most should continue with Kirk and Fitzgerald. The Cardinals are also crazy pass-heavy inside the red zone. It's really crazy. Stay with me here. Inside the red zone, they've passed 14 times to seven rush attempts. And even better, inside the 10-yard line, they have a 7-4 to four pass to rush split. So it's almost a 2-1 to one ratio across the board. So get a load of this. Uh, of those seven targets inside the 10-yard line, Larry Fitzgerald has five of them inside the 10-yard line. Yeah. Yeah. So only Zach Ertz and Emmanuel Sanders have more targets inside the 20 than Larry Fitzgerald has inside the 10 yard line. Like, let that sink in for a minute. <laughs> it's sinking. Like the Titanic, baby. I'm going to pick up Larry Fitzgerald. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> salvage mission. Larry Fitzgerald salvage mission. Yeah. So you said it before. Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk are going to see as much as they can handle in this in this offense. And the wide receivers are really dominating the share of targets in Arizona right now. Kyler Murray has directed 82% of his passes to wide receivers. That's by far the most. Actually, uh, let me lay out the Cardinals' targets by position here. The running backs have 11 targets. The faceless tight ends have 5 targets. And the wide receivers have 73 targets, which is like 14 more than the next highest team. Uh, So I'm really ranting here, Travis. We're both big on David Johnson going into this year. Are you worried about the only 11 targets to running backs or DJ's performances in the run game so far? Uh, Do you see any of that going up? I hope so. I really want it to. And I think it probably will as this offense gets a little bit more solidified and they kind of figure out who their go-tos are. DJ did look good in the passing work that he's gotten. But like you said, he's only got eight of those 11 targets himself through two games. And that's not what we like to see because, you know, the receiving game is what really puts him into that upper echelon. Um, But I expect a little bit of an uptick, uh, maybe a little bit more creativity in how he's used. He's averaging only 12 rushes a game, which is a little bit concerning because I don't know if that's necessarily going to go up too, too much uh, with how pass heavy they're going to be. So we'll have to keep an eye on David Johnson. As of right now, when you would take him maybe with the fifth or the sixth pick in drafts um, preseason, it's not looking that great, but I think we can still hold out hope on that. He has been playing 18% of the snaps in the slot, which is up from six and a half percent in that awful offense from 2018. And we want you to keep an eye out on their other passing options too. Damier Bird, 86% snaps. Keyshawn Johnson, 76% snaps. But that one actually dipped to around 35% with uh, Michael Crabtree making his debut. Um, so you got to be a. That's I know that sucked, hey? Oh, like, what a pro- what a progress stopper Michael Crabtree is there. Mm-hmm. Just let the young guys go. Um, but then you got the forgotten man, Andy Isabella. So he was nicked up before week one, but he's kind of become an afterthought with the rest of these guys getting all that work. What's happening with Andy Isabella? Yeah. I mean, he's a healthy scratch. I mean, actually, I think what's happening with them is guys you mentioned like Demir Bird, Keyshawn Johnson, these players can run the zero routes, which are where you take no step. You just run a slant route really quick. And I don't think, uh, that's kind of the weak point of Andy Isabella's game is more of a deep threat player. And I just don't think they're ready to incorporate him. Uh, into the offense right right quick. I, I mean, I like all these wideouts, though. I mean, the Cardinals wideouts are what we want to target. Um, the last stat I have to feed here for the Cardinals is that they've run in 10 personnel. That's with four wide receivers split out wide, 67% of the time. And that's over three times as much as the Rams at 21%. And the third highest rate uh, team is running four wide receiver sets is 8%. 
Wow, man. So, like, I, you just got to monitor these snaps. I think it's really great that you brought up the Keyshawn uh, Crabtree one. And Demir Bird is clearly looking like a guy we should be picking up right now. Yeah, that's wild. He kind of came out of nowhere. I think he was with the Panthers last year or something like that. But definitely a guy to watch if he's getting that much snaps on such a high-volume offense. Yeah, he's fast. So I know I know we spent a lot of time on the Cardinals, but it, it's because they haven't hit their big breakout yet because it is coming once they start converting touchdowns and all kind of mold into this unique offense, in my opinion. So maybe we'll move on here because there is one other team besides the Cardinals. There's one other team that supported two wide receivers on one team with 20 or more targets besides Arizona. And you guessed it. It's the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bungles. The Bungles. And A.J. Green not being a part of some of Dalton's career highs here in the passing game through two weeks is weird. Uh, A.J. Green, who is out of his walking boot, go send an offer right now. Actually, what would you be sending and like, what are you trying to, are you trying to acquire A.J. Green right now? Yeah, I actually have him on a lot of my rosters because I was drafting him with when he was that crazy like fourth round value. But obviously that's not paid off too much with his injury. I would probably go out and try and acquire him. Although I did see a weird report today, a quote from AJ Green in an interview who said he didn't know where everybody got this six weeks from and he thought it was going to be a lot longer than that. So I got to dig a little bit more into that to see if that's true. If it is, that really, really sucks because I'm excited for AJ Green to come back into this offense. Um, You can go acquire him, but acquire him with caution is basically how I would recommend that. Yeah, well, I do think this offense is going to be really, really good for wide receivers. I really do. Uh, This season, Tyler Boyd, we could have maybe predicted for sure. Uh, He's been a volume hog. Uh, But more inexplicably, we have not kind of seen a bigger rise to fame here this season than John Ross, top 10 John. What do you think? Yeah, man, he's looking really, really good. Um, I think you've mentioned before that he's kind of in that Brandon Cooks role with Zach Taylor's Rams offense. So it's really actually kind of cool to see John Ross do this because he's had a pretty rough go. I actually acquired him as a piece in a trade this week, um, and I'm hoping to start him soon. But to me, he's actually almost a bit of a sell if AJ Green is coming back. I think, you know, it's nice to have his production, but if AJ Green comes back, he's going to command targets. So if you can get a good return on John Ross, like, if you can get a return on the production he's had the last two games, then I would definitely take that. Yeah, and I think that becomes more true the more weeks we get deeper into uh, AJ Green's return, you know, getting closer. I'm kind of just glad we want to. We went to the Bengals here because there's so many parallels between Arizona and Cincinnati. I think it's kind of endless. Uh, they have a putrid offensive line, unproven head coach, never called to play in the NFL. Uh, and they're both proving exploitable for fantasy big time. The Bengals are also playing super fast and furious. They're sixth in place from scrimmage, and they're tied in second uh, for pass attempts. And we also see there's definitely something going on with Joe Mixon and stuff right now. So what do you what are you seeing right now? Yeah, man, for fantasy, we can target their wide receivers. You touched on Mixon real quick there. Uh, as a position, the wide receivers in Cincinnati have the third most targets. Uh, Tyler Boyd, he's a player that we liked as a breakout coming into the season, and he might still be a sneaky buy because he has kind of been overshadowed by John Ross. Boyd, though, he's still seventh in targets through two weeks, and he's kind of showing what we love from him, and that's really good efficiency via the catch rate. And if you're not going to buy him now, you're probably going to have a little bit of a buy window when AJ Green returns. Um, But if Boyd keeps it up, people are going to start relying on him on their rosters. So you might want to look into the Boyd owner and see if you can get him now. Yeah, and I think like we've seen so many positives from this offense. It could even evolve further when AJ Green does come back into the lineup. If uh, if you don't mind, I want to quickly bust a miss from last year. Um, maybe people who aren't as plugged in, they think Tyler Boyd's success last year was after AJ Green was injured, uh, but it's actually the opposite. Tyler Boyd was the wide receiver 12 with AJ Green in the lineup. And last year he had five games with 20 plus PPR points with AJ Green and only one without uh, AJ Green. 
And the other myth from some, even analysts, we're talking a lot about this, is that Tyler Boyd was not good because A.J. Green wasn't on the other side taking coverage away from him. And that also, I mean, it's true to an extent, but it wasn't the real reason. Boyd's struggles came in games when Jeff Driscoll played at quarterback. And, you know, I don't even know where that dude is right now. No, man, maybe trying out for the CFL? Oh, actually, I swear he just, like, signed somewhere, like, two days ago. Like, I know Cincinnati released him, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Anyways. (laughs) Who knows? Yeah, like, Tyler Boyd last year had 16.7 fantasy points per game when Andy Dalton was active. That was 15th in the league. And, like I said, he was 12th in the league in fantasy points per game when A.J. Green was active. Yeah, those are all good points on Tyler Boyd there. Um, I guess we should hit a little bit more on John Ross because it's pretty amazing what he's doing. Kind of a who-knew situation. Um, John Ross is the wide receiver two overall right now in fantasy football. He leads the league in receiving yards. Uh, That's pretty sweet through two weeks. That's kind of what he was drafted to do um, was to get those big plays and bring a little bit of excitement to this offense. Fantasy aside, though, he definitely genuinely looks better this season. I think I mentioned that I think A.J. Green is going to take some targets when he comes back. But for now, John Ross is playing 84% of the Bengals' snaps. Um, They play in 11 personnel with three wide receivers about 70% of the time. So I think all of these guys could have some production even when A.J. Green comes back. Um, It'll be really interesting to see, though, Zach Taylor, if he can kind of sustain this throughout the season. Yeah, and John Ross and his 84% snaps is something I never thought I would hear anyways, really. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> his career hasn't had any legs so far because he really hasn't had any legs <laughs> like uh he's really just been riddled with soft tissue injuries though throughout his whole career and so my main concern for his fantasy value would actually probably be his durability really but uh, i mean what we're getting at is live it up with john ross and tyler boyd well we can uh their 42 combined targets right now is more than about half the teams in the league have targeted their wide receivers in total yeah, absolutely. You said live it up there. Um, there's a, I think, late 90s, probably early 2000s hip hop song. Who did that one? Live it up. Uh, that'd be Ja Rule. Nice. Oh, Nailed that. Come on, come on. Uh. Uh, living it up. <laughs> all my people who be living it up. Uh. <laughs> uh. That's about all I know from that one. But that yeah, was a good same one. Here. That was a good one. Classic Actually, jam. you know, there's one Ja Rule song that I played, you know, Throughout my life, it, it didn't. It's not necessarily still in my rotation, but uh, it's uh, always on time. That oh was man, that was the yeah. first song that came to my head too, with Ashanti singing Total, that exa- yeah, chorus. Damn. Always there when you call. Yeah. So yeah. good. So good. Rule, boomer bus guys. Yeah, Ja Rule's flow too, like his flow oh, in that man. is super Where good. Where would I be without my baby? <laughs> yeah, that's some good stuff. Oh man. <laughs> Okay, let's keep it moving here. We're going to move into the Dallas Cowboys. So talking about always on time and kind of speaking of being punctual, how about uh, the arrival of the Dallas Cowboys? Yet another new and improved offense. First, this little offensive machine they got going in Dallas is running at a really high level. The play calling, the execution have been something really to marvel. Um, Their quarterback looks like a superstar. Uh, He's going to get paid, man, Dak. Prescott is going to get paid. Jerry has to ante up now. Dak's top three in yards, touchdowns, fantasy points. We always knew that he had a pretty safe floor, um, but I think we're kind of getting close to seeing his ceiling in 2019. Yeah, totally. And, you know, we saw a little bit of a glimpse of it last year. He was quarterback six once Mari Cooper arrived, and that was without uh, Dak and Kellen Moore kind of meshing. This new offensive coordinator has really made a difference, I think, Kellen Moore. Uh, the Cowboys are really mastering play action at the moment, and clearly his confidence in this offense is sky high, given the throws he's been willing to make here early in the season. 
Uh, I do wonder what happens now in Dallas, uh, because what I wanted to rant and rave about was the new pass-happy scheme. And now that Michael Gallup's injured, I I hope it doesn't change too much, but I'll still run through this. In 2018, the Cowboys ran 63%, uh, three wide receiver sets. And in both week one and two, they ran 73% of their plays with three wide receivers out wide. And I think in this example, it's just really important because in week one, all five of the Cowboys touchdowns came when they were playing in 11 personnel. And this is all really thanks to the shot in the arm that is Kellen Moore, in my opinion. I mean, last year, it took the Cowboys six weeks to score nine offensive touchdowns under Jason Garrett. They did that in two weeks under Kellen Moore. The Cowboys are second in points per drive, and they're checking all the boxes with play action usage, and they're even third in the NFL in pre-snap motion. So it's basically the mix of creativity, schemes, and aggressiveness that should prolong this offense's attraction for fantasy. And yeah, Kellen Moore, Cowboys head coach in 2020. You heard it here first. Unless they want to lose him. I'm telling you, man, unless they want to lose this guy in the market. Yeah, I think that's a that could happen. Everybody loves that young hotness in the NFL, and Kellen Moore is proving to be that right now. Yeah, I mean, okay, so I'll shut up here, but we, we know Amari Cooper has some remarkable game splits and boom-bust stigma will always follow him. But how are you valuing Amari Cooper in this offense? And we haven't talked about it much, but Michael Gallup will miss a month. So who's their best wide receiver for fantasy? How are you seeing all this shake out? Yeah, I think Amari Cooper is definitely their best wide receiver for fantasy. He uh, He's had a pretty efficient little season on the targets that he's gotten so far. And I mean, they brought him in for a reason. Dak's going to target him. But I think aside from him, you got Devin Smith, you got Randall Cobb. Randall Cobb, man, he's looking like another really good pickup for PPR leagues, you know, showing that he can still do it. He was kind of left for dead in Green Bay. Um, really, really nice to see Randall Cobb. I've always liked him as a player, so it's kind of nice to see him get back into it, and hopefully he can keep it going because I got him on some of my rosters. And yeah, I mentioned Devin Smith. He looked really, really good this past week. They just kind of plugged him in, and he kept going where Michael Gallup left off. And I think he could have a little bit of value in the next couple games. Um, so he's a waiver wire pickup for me um, as kind of a late stash, just in case something happens further in the season because they've shown that they can use him. What do you think? I think Daniel Jeremiah compared uh, Devin Smith to Deshaun Jackson coming out. <laughs> yeah, I really like Devin Smith coming out. I thought actually the Jets were going to get a nice receiver at a time when they needed a wide receiver, but it didn't pan out for him. He had lots of injuries, so it's yeah. cool to see him get a big day. No, you, that's important you said that. Yeah, he did have a lot of injuries for sure. I mean, what I think is my Tony Pollard slot use dreams. We'll have to wait. Um, you're right. <laughs> Cobb is seeing, vol- he's seeing volume and fantasy startability and usage. And I mean, that's kind of what matters at this point. And Cobb had a good week one, and he rounds out the three Cowboys receivers that are ranked inside the top 40 right now. So you touched on, I mean, even streams, in my opinion, are in play for this whole offense, Uh, even tight ends. uh, Randall Cobb will even be usable. Uh, That's kind of how much I'm digging this offense and what I'm seeing in uh, Dallas. Kellamore 2020. (laughs) We're going to have to get some banners or something. Yeah, moving on. Yeah, moving on. Let's stay in the division here. I think there's a lot of teams that we could hit, but one maybe I'm not hearing talked about a lot is the Washington football team. And I want to frame it like this. Uh, Are they this year's garbage team kings? They see Darius Geis put on the IR, who we thought could be kind of the focal point of this offense, if he could stay healthy. And quarterback Case Keenum, he's been much more willing to take deep shots. So I'm saying that they have this path to become a useful pass attack for fantasy. What do you think? What do you think, Trap? Yeah, I think it's kind of another condensed offense. I'm looking at Chris Thompson and Terry McLaurin. So we'll touch on Terry McLaurin first. After two weeks, there's only three players in the NFL that have over half of their team's air yards. Terry McLaurin is one of them, alongside Robbie Anderson and Keenan Allen. 
which is pretty surprising coming out of the Washington passing attack because everybody was dogging these guys going into the season. So I think you can keep firing up Terry McLaurin as a wide receiver too. I mean, this offense is likely to be in poor game script all season and they're trailing most of the year. But I think for Paul Richardson, we definitely need to keep monitoring him. He had a big contract coming in. He looked decent in Seattle, but he hasn't really gotten a shot because of injury once again. Um, So Paul Richardson, he's still kind of a wait and see kind of guy for me. And then we move to Trey Quinn. I can definitely see the allure. Um, He's got some upside in the way of targets, and he's kind of a PPR guy. He played 97% of the snaps in week one, which is pretty shocking, especially after that injury. Lots of people weren't even sure if he was going to play week one. But on that note, he's missed more games than he's actually played in his young career. So in week two, we kind of saw him go down to 79% snaps, and that's kind of where he's probably going to max out in my opinion. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of the points here that we love Terry McLaurin so much is because everyone's just kind of a band-aid in Washington. They really are. And I'm not even going to touch on the tight ends because they are too. Uh, And I do, I love Terry McLaurin. And the lid is popped. Pandora's out of the box here. It's not going back in. Uh, We're all over this kid in Dynasty for a few reasons. His impressive metrics, his earlier than expected draft capital, and his landing spot being devoid of bodies in the wide receiver group there. Uh, but the funny thing is, the biggest reason we wanted T-Mac shares in Dino was because he was paired with his college quarterback in Dwayne Haskins, and it looked like he couldn't fail really given the lack of options at wide receiver there. Um, but yeah, Haskins isn't in there. That's not the case, uh, you could say. Uh, <laughs> case Keenum is playing super aggressive, and Terry McLaurin was just overthrown by a little bit uh, for a second deep touchdown in week one, or we'd really be talking this guy up around the community. And my big point with T-Mac is that he did play also 90% snaps in both games, and he may be the only player who can withstand the rigors of playing a full snap load. So McLaurin's actually the wide receiver 9 right now. He's seen 7-plus targets in both games, and he has the 7th highest average depth of target. And you mentioned Chris Thompson. He has one more target than my boy Terry McLaurin, uh, but they're the only players seeing over 20% market share in this offense. And this offense should continue to be really pass-heavy, I think. I'm really targeting Terry McLaurin in case anybody thinks he is just a flash in the pan. Target the others if you want, but I'm really lasered in on Terry McLaurin. Uh, The way this narrative of garbage time meets with Terry McLaurin, uh, he's seen eight of his 16 targets in quarters one to three combined, and the other eight in just the fourth quarter alone. Uh, So they're going to need him to play catch up all year long, and they've already turned to him in the fourth quarter in the first couple weeks here. Yeah, and just kind of a final hit on Chris Thompson, because that's kind of one of my big calls coming into the season. I really like seeing what's happening there. He's got 18 targets through the first two games. So like I said, this offense is going to be condensed to Terry McLaurin and Chris Thompson. Um, We know that that's where Chris Thompson's bread is made is in the pass game. He's got 6.4 yards per target, which is pretty solid for a running back. And he's been in on 64% of the snaps. So that's decent as well. To me, he's a back end running back two in PPR leagues um, with potential to have a little bit more based on volume if he can stay healthy. Yeah, we've seen him have some huge weeks in the past for sure. And you mentioned that snap share kind of gets lost because he is dominating the snaps in that backfield for sure. Yeah, absolutely. You actually told me before the show that Wendell Smallwood actually had just about as many snaps as Adrian Peterson. Yeah, and they both played under 30%. So yeah, they they definitely, they're going to need to play catch up. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, so that bodes well for Chris Thompson for sure. Yeah, so we're getting pretty close to wrapping it up here. But one more that I want to talk about is the Baltimore Ravens. They're kind of the talk of the town in the NFL right now. They're looking great. Um, They're going to get their first real test this week against Kansas City. Uh, The Ravens have the most yards, the most points, and the most touchdowns in the league through two weeks. Not bad for a one-dimensional run-heavy team, eh? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And you mentioned that they're going to get their first test against Kansas City. It's definitely notable because it's going to be a shock to their system probably after playing last year's uh, worst team in the NFL in Arizona. And then this year's obvious worst team in the NFL in Miami. Uh, Going to Kansas City is going to be 
pretty trippy for him, I would imagine. Yeah, and a lot a lot's been made about how their passing game is transformed, but they still lead the league in rushing. The thing with the passing game is the efficiency. It's been pretty amazing to watch. They're fourth in passing yards and third in yards per attempt, but they are still bottom ten in passing attempts. So that's efficiency to a T right there. Um, I actually think Greg Roman should be getting a little bit more credit for the transformation. Um, and obviously there's Lamar Jackson's way too early bid for MVP. So that's pretty sweet. Totally not bad for a running back, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, you mentioned some of the league-leading uh, stats. They're also leading the league in plays from scrimmage yet again and rushing attempts, like you said, yet again. Uh, last year, they led the league in both categories. They were one of only seven teams in the last five years, crack 1,100 plays from scrimmage. And they ran the most plays since the 2014 Broncos last year. Remember that squad? Mm-hmm. And they also uh, had the most rushing attempts since 2014 Texans last year. So Baltimore is on pace to you know pretty much set new marks for plays from scrimmage and rushing attempts in 2019. Yeah, and to hit back on the passing game, another condensed offense. Um, Mark Andrews currently has 29% of this target share, and Hollywood Brown has 27%. The next best guy is Nick Boyle at 10% target share. So that's like the epitome of a condensed offense as far as the passing game, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, the the target share is just insane. Number one, uh, we should mention that the running backs are, they're, they're bottom in the league again in targets to the running backs in Baltimore. So it's kind of unfortunate for Justice Hill, players like that, even Mark totally. Ingram. Just seeing, yeah, he's seeing no passing work. Uh, but that is all to uh, the delight of Mark Andrews and Hollywood Brown. And to be honest, our best ball, I'm just going to take a quick vi- uh, victory lap here. I really, one of the biggest things I really championed this offseason was to pair all three players from this passing game. Uh, Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews and Hollywood Brown were all available in late late in your drafts. So you can pair all three of those players and completely monopolize this passing attack. And while I'm not taking in a, a huge victory lap because it's only two weeks in, but I just think it's a really easy way uh, in best ball to identify teams that you can monopolize entire passing shares of. Yeah, that's a great best ball point right there. Yeah, and if you did it in your redraft, it's looking pretty good too. If you paired Mark Andrews as your tight end two and Lamar Jackson as your quarterback too, you know. Yeah, Mark Andrews right now. He's the tight end one. He's got 16 of his 17 targets for 220 yards in the first two games. Yeah, it really is all Mark Andrews and Hollywood Brown. Hollywood Brown kind of freaked us out because we talked snap share last week. Uh, This week, he led the Ravens in wide receivers uh, snap share. Uh, I guess that foot's okay. And I've actually, I've said it on the pod before that no wide receiver who weighs under 170 pounds has ever had a 1,000 yard season since 1990. Uh, But Hollywood Brown is definitely going to be the player to break that trend. I just didn't think he'd do it as soon as this year. (laughs) Yeah, like 18 targets already through two games. I mean, just like the volume of the passing is more than even I thought the Ravens were going to have, even with an uptick from last year. Um, It's pretty encouraging, though. It's pretty encouraging, especially for, like you said, best ball teams who have Hollywood Brown, because I think he's going to be kind of the new Deshaun Jackson as far as best ball targets, potentially. Oh, yeah, I think in coming out of college, I mean, he had 14 receptions of 50 plus yards in the last two years uh, when he played college there. And in 2018 in college, he had 35 percent of his catches go for 20 plus yards. So he was like literally the one guy that we could actually compare uh, to Djax coming out. And we've seen some of the nuance in his game, his route running ability, his catches on the sidelines. Uh, it's what's allowing Baltimore to continue to feed him because he provides such a threat down the field that cornerbacks really have to give him such an extreme cushion. Yeah, for sure. So just lastly to hit on Mark Andrews here, he's been doing all that work on only 41% of the team's offensive snaps. So do you have any caution there with Mark Andrews? Say like if you're rostering him and he's the only tight end on your roster, are you potentially picking up a second tight end to put on your bench or are you riding it out with Mark Andrews? Yeah, I mean, I'm probably riding it out with Mark Andrews. I'm not too concerned. Uh, 
I just think we saw last year in Lamar Jackson's eight starts that he led them in receiving. Uh, we've seen this year that he's continued to do so. Uh, the target shares there, the yards are there, the high leverage work is there in the red zone, and he can he can make something happen after the catch. Like I don't think people until we see him on prime time and stuff. I don't think people are going to really know how athletic Mark Andrews is with the ball in his hands and his yards per catch and his average depth of target. Everything's still there, man. Like it's it's really crazy what we're seeing from Mark Andrews. I don't expect this every week, of course, but. You know, outside of really extremely tough matchups, I'm I'm ready to set and forget Mark Andrews. Yeah, yeah, spot on, man. I'm in the same boat. He's locked in for me. I'm putting him in there, and I'm really only worrying about his bye week at this point. Are you setting and forgetting Hollywood Brown as your wide receiver three or flex? Absolutely. Let's do yeah, it. Like I'm, I'm I in think on as this long offense, as man. Yeah, like as long as I don't have some like roster construction wise, as long as my other wide receivers aren't boomer bust, I'm really definitely setting and forgetting Hollywood Brown too. Totally. Or if you went really wide receiver heavy and you're pretty stacked there. So like say on teams where you have like Chris Godwin is your wide receiver three or something like that, I, I could see yeah. him maybe being a flex depending on who else you have. But I mean, he's getting into set and forget territory for sure. So actually just one little quick touch on their run game as well. Gus Edwards is continued usage. That's a little bit surprising. Um, he's not been efficient at all. He's only got 67 yards on 20 carries. But I think as far as handcuffs to Mark Ingram, we saw Mark Ingram get a little bit banged up. I think as far as the rushing work, you want Gus Edwards over Justice Hill, which to me is actually kind of unfortunate. Yeah, I think that's true. But I don't think it's like, I don't think either are going to be extremely valuable, unfortunately, because both of them are really talented and both of them have looked really, really good. And both of them have seized their opportunities they've had early in the season. But I also think I wanted to mention that they played Miami and Arizona mainly for the rushing attack. Uh, we should see Mark Ingram play a lot more snaps in more competitive games, so we'll see how that snap share kind of shakes out. But yeah, I just think, uh, you know, I, I picked up Gus Edwards on a lot of teams that I had Justice Hill on. They both just kind of disappointed in week two, is what I'll say. Yeah, for sure. Just something to keep an eye on because we do expect them to keep being run heavy. Yeah, totally. And I thought I, I thought there would be a scenario that maybe would present itself where two running backs would be startable on a weekly basis in this in this offense. Yeah, I was curious to see that too, but it doesn't quite look that way. I mean, to be honest, 20 carries, if Gus Edwards is more efficient on those 20 carries, then you have two startable running backs, really. Yeah, and that you know we we could say that he did clearly get mop-up duties in Miami. So Gus Edwards, if, if you can really try and plan a blowout for Baltimore, which will be hard to do, um, you could start Gus Edwards, I guess, in a flex spot. Yeah, if he keeps mopping up, we'll just call him the janitor. <laughs> the bus driver the bus yeah. driving janitor <laughs> Gus the bus driving janitor yeah, sounds like, like a tragically it. hip song <laughs> totally <laughs> what's troubling Gus that's like actually one of my favorite tragically hip songs right? yeah that's a classic song a super underrated mm-hmm. hip song what's Alright, so quick final takes on a couple surprise 2-0 and teams. We've got the San Francisco 49ers and the Buffalo Bills. Ty, why don't you talk a little bit about the Niners yeah, I mean, the Niners, they've had a pretty cake strength schedule for sure. The run game kind of carried them here in week two. I thought the 49ers were going to put up 300 yards on the ground against Cincy. I really did. Um, Dante Pettis, who knew he'd have more passing yards and attempts than catches and receiving yards at this point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, maybe the big takeaway I've had from the Niners has nothing to do with the record, but it's the running backs. Matt Breida, uh, we kind of thought would get some workhorse duties or at least, you know, a good 50% snap share. Uh, so we saw 44% snaps in week one. He saw only 29% snaps in week two. Uh, so enter Raheem Mustart. Uh, you got to start this guy, Raheem Mustart. 29% week one, 47% week two. So he led them in snaps and he, he really, really just looked electric out there. Kind of looks like they have two Breedas out there, to be honest. Um, 
So were you worried about Brita's usage at all? A little bit, actually. It, you know, Mostert went right into a favorable position for Kyle Shanahan and got most of the work, and he produced, man. He's produced every time he's gotten a shot, too. So I think they kind of want to unleash him. Um, I don't think Brita's too worrisome, though, because I think they do want to have a two-headed attack. Um, so I'm still, I'm still tempering my caution on Matt Breida, let's say. What about Jeff Wilson? I, you know, another guy who produced a little bit last year, late in the season when they needed him to. So, I mean, the beginning of the season with Tevin Coleman, Jarek McKinnon and Matt Breida showed that they kind of wanted to have a three headed attack. So for fantasy purposes, I hope they don't do that again. Um, but it's totally within the realm of possibilities. Um, I'm just holding out hope that Brita maintains some of that efficiency that he has shown us in the past um, and gets it done. The one thing that's kind of concerning for me is the target total for the running backs. There's only 12 targets for the running backs, and two of those were to uh, fullback Kyle Juszczyk. So I really wanted some more passing work out of this running back room, but we're not seeing it just yet, so it's something to watch. It's interesting with Jimmy G coming back in that there's less passing work going on for the running backs. Yeah, it's it's definitely what we've seen from Jimmy G before. It sucks. And, you know, really quick on Matt Breida, I, I think we – I'm not too worried about him either. I think Jeff Wilson came in and saw a lot of that goal line work. We, we're not going to see San Francisco blowing teams out like they did uh, in the fourth quarter with Cincinnati very often this season. So let's move on. What do you think about the uh, next biggest surprise there, the Buffalo Bills going 2-0? Man, they're looking really good. I think we kind of knew that they were going to play off of this strong defense. Um, Josh Allen's got a really quiet 64% completion rate right now, though. Um, You know, Mr. Under 60%. He's up there, so hopefully you can keep that up. Uh, He's quarterback 12 after two weeks, and I think that he'll probably finish the season right around there just based on how he's looked so far. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Josh Allen. He has another really nice start this week. And uh, John Brown, definitely, we both love Smokey Brown. You've been huge on him all offseason. Uh, so, yeah, kudos for that one. And, yeah, he just looks like a set and forget for sure. Yeah, John Brown, he's uh, he's shredding right now. He's got 27% of the team's targets. He's got 14 catches on 18 targets. So he's efficient on all the targets that he's getting, um, which for his, his type of player, they're kind of like boomer bust. So that kind of efficiency isn't always the case. Yeah, totally. And I think there's so much upside for his target share to even go up. Uh, He has just such a great chemistry right now with Josh Allen that we haven't seen yet, really, uh, since Robert Foster, really. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But uh, I just think, you know, Cole Beasley still seeing over 20% of the target. So I think that could come down or I really hope it does. But, you know, I was saying that for two years in Dallas. So Totally. Beasley just kind of does nothing for you. I mean, like you said, the targets are there, but... There's no yak with them. There's no average depth of target. Um, it's all just kind of ho-hum stuff that you're not really going to want to put into your lineup. So, you know, Cole Beasley can be left on the bench or on the waiver wire for me. Yep, the Buffalo Beasles. <laughs> but yeah, John Brown, he's going to be a surprise wide receiver too by the end of the season. If he can stay healthy, please let him stay healthy. Yep, smoke him while you got him, right? Pun intended. Yeah, so that's kind of all we have for confirmation observations is what we're calling it. Um, so so make of that what you will. That's kind of what we think on those teams, and we're pretty excited to see them moving forward and getting some of these players in our lineups. So I'm in the template. We're going to do our kind of week three, our week three game of the week. You ready? Yeah. Yep. Okay. 
Yeah, so for this next segment, we're kind of going to give you our game of the week. So it's one that we are really intrigued to see for fantasy purposes. It might not necessarily be the most high scoring game. Um, you know, it's not going to be your Chiefs against Ravens because you're starting all of those guys, um, but maybe more of a low key game that we really want to see what these pieces are going to do. Um, Ty, should I start? Yeah, give me a really good matchup because I really I couldn't find very much this week. Yeah, I'll hit mine and then I'll let you get right into yours, okay? So uh, my matchup this week is the Giants and the Buccaneers. It's not your sexy matchup on paper, um, but lots that we want to see from these offenses. So to start with the Bucs, can OJ Howard become usable? Um, he's had pretty minimal targets so far over the season. We really, really were high on him coming into the year. Uh, we really want to see what happens with the OJ Howard's usage, especially, you know, this is a bad defense. This is a get right game for OJ Howard. So hopefully you can get right. Um, Jameis Winston, he, to me, he looked all right last Thursday. It was a really ugly weather game. So I think we got to cut a little bit of slack for that. And with the wide receivers, everybody on Twitter has been talking about who's the wide receiver one in Tampa Bay. Um, that conversation is a broken record right now. I personally think that Mike Evans and Chris Godwin can both be upper echelon fantasy options. Um, the targets actually show that. They both have 13, I believe. Mm-hmm. Chris Godwin's just been more efficient on his targets, that's all. Yeah, especially inside the red zone. Yeah, I'm just hoping that the outcome with those two wide receivers doesn't really nosedive OJ Howard as at least a top 12 option since it looks like he's not really going to be the top five option that we thought he was going into the year. And then moving into the Giants, it's a new era in the Big Apple. What does Daniel Jones look like against a regular season NFL defense? Um, This is a real interesting one for me as an Eagles fan because I always want to see what's going on in the division, especially when division teams draft quarterbacks. I really want to see what happens with those guys to know what I can expect for the next 10 plus years potentially. Um, So like I said, he's playing a regular season defense. Daniel Jones had a great preseason. Uh, The Bucs have actually looked much better on defense this year. Um, So definitely one to watch. It's going to be a bit of a test for them based on what we've seen from Tampa so far. Yeah, who knew their best coach would be Todd Bowles, right? (laughs) (laughs) So Daniel Jones, I mean, a lot of talk is about the weapons in New York, but he's still going to have Evan Ingram. Um, Shepard should be back soon. And of course, he has Saquon Barkley as a as another receiving option out of the backfield. So there is some upside there for Daniel Jones. Um, I think there's a lot of super flex teams right now who have been anxiously awaiting this, uh, myself included. And I know that you have them on a team in a league that we're in. So I think that's going to help a lot of squads. Um, One thing that I'm interested to see is whether Evan Ingram is still going to be a huge target hog. I'm interested to see if Daniel Jones can do anything with his legs as well. We kind of touched on that at the open. Um, It adds another facet to this offense. Defenses could just sit and rush Eli and know where he was going to be every time. Um, We kind of saw with him trying to, I can't remember who it was, but he tried to juke somebody in the open field and it was just awful. Um, So I think just new excitement for a team that's been trying to get rid of Eli for the better part of a season and a half. Yeah, I think that's all well said. I, I'll offer my take really quick on the Evan Ingram thing. I think like even if his targets do come down a bit, I think his average depth of target will go up. Like he'll be targeted deeper down the field a lot more often. And, you know, honestly, man, I didn't even pick a great start. So, you know, I picked the same game. <laughs> I picked the Tampa Bay Bucks and Giants. Thought I was going off the board. <laughs> I see Tampa Bay being able to use this game to get OJH on track. I really do think OJ Howard will be... Uh, he, they'll, they'll make a concerted effort to get him back on track in this game. And I think Mike Evans could have a huge, uh, a major bounce back in this game while Godwin still is putting up wide receiver two numbers in this game. I think all around Tampa Bay could have a really big game. 
And that's why I think it has, like, very small shootout potential. I think Daniel Jones could come out and kind of shock the world here in this game. And the main reason I picked that game is because when I was looking around the board, man, I looked at Carolina at Arizona. I thought that had a lot of fantasy appeal, but we don't know what, you know, Cam Newton has to offer in that game. Uh, We're looking at setting our early lineups, which I recommend everybody does set their lineups uh, anticipatory style uh, before you do your waivers. Even make a mini depth chart of your own team. It's easier to identify your needs and stuff that way. And this week's fantasy matchups, I really do think will just come down to some of our big players' matchups. Uh, There's some very positive matchups, a few really ugly matchups, and there's games that shape up to be really slow-paced or one-sided. Um, I don't know, after after Cleveland has been less than impressive early on in this season and the Rams let down last week for shootout purposes, maybe people won't target that game as heavily. But the LA Rams playing at Cleveland sets up as a shootout for sure, maybe the only one of the week. Yeah, that's good. I think like to highlight your point, it's just it's just a weird week for fantasy. I think a lot of it stems from some of the injuries. Like no Drew Brees, no Ben Roethlisberger is a big hit for two really good offenses. Um, mm-hmm. Just kind of a weird start to the season overall. And, you know, I think some of the intrigue in some of these matchups kind of shows that for us. Yeah, I don't even think you can count the quarterbacks starting week three that weren't starting in week one on one hand, right? Yeah, you got that right. So, Travis, do you want to get into some players here we can start in a pinch? Maybe we had to compromise our rosters in these super flex uh, leagues to combat an injury at quarterback or something. Who's some players we can start? Yeah, let's do that. I'm going to give you one, and then you're going to give me one, and then we're going to ride this puppy out, okay? Sounds good. All right, so we're going to call these dart throws to start. My dart throw for this week is coincidentally on my favorite team. It's Nelson Aguilar. Uh, Deshaun Jackson is out this week. Alshon Jeffrey could be limited with a calf. Um, And I think we've seen that Carson Wentz targets Nelson Aguilar heavily when those guys are out. Um, Zach Ertz is still going to get his, but Nelson Aguilar played 96% snaps last week against the Falcons. He had 11 targets and he caught eight of them for 107 yards and a touchdown. So my start of the week as far as deep dive guys, if you're, you know, in a panic mode on your flex spot and you really need a start in a pinch, I'm starting Nelson Aguilar. Who you got, Ty? Yeah, I'm just kind of looking at, I put like a list of like four or five guys. I think they might not be deep enough. I put like, you know, Royce Freeman, Raheem Mostert, Rex Burkhead, guys like that. But they're probably all owned and Marquise Hart, uh, you know, Michael Hardman, MVS, guys like that. Uh, DJ Chark, maybe... Okay, I'll go with this guy. Let's go James Washington. I think you should start James Washington this week. He's like near the top of the league in air yards. He's really, really, uh, he's about to break out. I think he's going to start seeing a lot higher snap share. He's going to be the clear wide receiver too in that offense across from Juju Smith-Schuster. And we saw the benefits that had for Juju Smith-Schuster in this offense uh, on the other side of uh, Antonio Brown last year. So I just think James Washington has a lot of ceiling to develop this chemistry that he's shown uh, pretty significant chemistry with Mason Rudolph in the past. So I think, I think James Washington could be a good start. Nice, man. I like that. couple uh, homer picks for our uh, deep dive starts this week. That's beautiful. To- totally. I didn't even realize. Right on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so we're just about out of here, um, but we can't forget about our Canadian Fact of the Week. I held it down last week. Uh, we're going to get back to your regularly scheduled program with Ty reading the Canadian fact. So, Ty, why don't you take it away with our Canadian fact of the week? Yes, thank you, Travis. Today, we're going to go to Quebec City. Quebec City has a special feature that makes it unique in Canada and the U.S. for that matter. It has walls. 
One of the most fascinating facts about Canada is that Quebec City is the only city north of Mexico that still has fortified walls. Quebec's entire historic district, including the ramparts, has since been declared a World Heritage Site. Just one of the ten must-see sites in Quebec City and Montreal. Jealous America? <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Fully walled. Look at that. Not just the border. Yeah, that's a really interesting fact, actually. Canada has some pretty cool stuff. Um, you know, we find a lot of nature stuff when it comes to Canadian facts, but um, there's some really, really cool stuff about, you know, the upbringing of our country that uh, you don't really see everywhere else. A walled city. Yeah, hopefully those gates lock from the inside. French aren't letting anyone in. Just as yeah. long as they keep letting <laughs> no, their no. goalies out. As long as they let their goalies out, we're good. Okay, so that does it for our episode tonight. That's the seventh episode of the True North Fantasy Football Podcast. We want to say thanks to any of our listeners who have been with us from day one. We really appreciate it. And, of course, we appreciate all the new listeners too. So keep them coming. Tell your friends. Um, you can find all of our work at truenorthffb.com. And you can find us on Twitter at TrueNorthFFB. Definitely make sure to interact with us there. It's always fun to get chatting. Um, we're dropping little nuggets on different stats and stuff on Twitter. And we're working on getting some more content up on the site as well. Ty, where can they find you on Twitter? Yeah, you can find me at TNFF Tyrell. And yeah, I'm always dropping uh, air yards, uh, snap shares, all this good uh, nuggets, you know, right after game day. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Ty is a big, big research guy. He is right into game day. He's watching multiple games at a time. Keep an eye on his Twitter because he's always got some good stuff coming out very shortly after the games. Stuff that you don't necessarily see that quick anywhere else. So make sure you keep an eye on that for sure. You can find me at TSEAL14, like I said at the beginning. Um, it's been a blast. Thanks again for listening. And uh, peace. Peace.